Everyone has questions. Why am I here? Where will I go when I die? Is there really truth? But not everyone has biblical answers. Welcome to The Pastor Study, a ministry of pastorstudy.org. Join us now as we study the Bible to draw closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Pastor Tom Brock. Welcome to the Pastor's Study. Back in the first century, some Christians thought that the Roman Emperor Nero was the Antichrist. And if you know much about Nero, they kind of were right. <laughs> Back in the 1500s, Martin Luther thought the Pope was the Antichrist. And if you know much about the Renaissance Popes, he kind of had a point. <laughs> Back in World War II, Christians thought Hitler was the Antichrist. Back in the 1970s, when I was in college, I remember hearing, do you know that the numbers of Kissinger's last name add up to 666? Henry Kissinger is the Antichrist. Or there's this computer in Belgium, and it's the Antichrist. And, and so um, what we want to talk about in this half hour is, what exactly does the Bible teach about the coming Antichrist? Because there's so much confusion on this issue. Would you take a Bible out, turn in the New Testament to probably the passage more than any other that talks about the Antichrist, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And before we do, let's pray. Father, we pray now as maybe we are in the end times, I don't know. And Lord, we would pray that every Christian watching this program would be ready for the last day, would be studying the scriptures and not be duped by what is coming. We pray for people that are watching this program who aren't Christians, that somehow by your Holy Spirit, you would bring them to believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. And Lord, we ask your Holy Spirit to speak to us now in Jesus' name, amen. Paul the Apostle is writing to the Christians in Thessalonica, a town in Greece back then. And here is what he writes, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the second coming, and our gathering together to him, that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or to be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter purported to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. So here's the first lesson I want you to get today. Don't be duped about the second coming. In the first century, there were some false teachers that said, well, he's already come. You missed the second coming. And Paul says, no, no. Don't be duped about the second coming. Do you know back, somebody wrote a book back in 1988 called 88 Reasons the Rapture Has to Happen in 1988. What happened on 1988? Nothing. He had the gall to write a second book. 90 reasons the rapture has to happen in 1990. And you know, you've got these uh, left behind books that are very popular. And my thought from this verse is take all of that stuff with a huge grain of salt. Christians have been getting the timing for the second coming wrong for 2,000 years. Christian, our job is not to predict the timing of the second coming. Our job is to be ready for the second coming. I mean, I'll give you an example. I was 14 years old. I had a dream where I saw Jesus. And in the dream, Jesus lifted up his hands and said, God's time will come in 18 years. 18 years from when I was in 
ninth grade was 1986. 1986, I held my breath a bit that year. What happened? Absolutely nothing. And it was from a dream that I had where I saw Jesus. So, you know, dreams can be from pizza. They're not necessarily from the Lord. And be very careful about people that know the timing of the second coming. Next lesson, verse 3. For this, excuse me, uh, where am I at here? Uh, Let no one in any way deceive you, for it, the coming of Christ, will not come unless the apostasy, that means the falling away, comes first. Here's the next lesson. There will be a falling away before Christ returns. This has already happened. When you've got the ELCA Lutheran Church paying for abortions with offering dollars, abortion for any reason, when you've got the Presbyterian Church USA, the United Church of Christ, the Episcopal Church in America, when you've got the ELCA Lutherans and now the Disciples of Christ, all ordaining, practicing, impenitent homosexuals, when you've got pastors in the pulpit preaching that there are more ways to heaven than just by Jesus, let's not be so narrow, then you, when you've got some pastors that pray to the goddess Sophia, our mother who art in heaven, because the God the Father is sexist in their eyes, when you've got this craziness in some of our churches, the falling away won't happen someday. It's here. Look at verse 3. And then the lawless, the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. Here's the next lesson. The Antichrist will be lawless. He's called the man of lawlessness. Think of ancient uh, uh, emperors like Nero and Augustus and Caligula. They were a law unto themselves. They respected no law. Think of Hitler. Think of Mussolini, Idi Amin, Osama bin Laden. Uh, the Antichrist will be like that times a thousand. He will have no respect for normal human law. Verse 4. This one, the Antichrist, opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he, the Antichrist, takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Here's the next lesson. The Antichrist will claim to be God. Do you know that the Roman emperors claimed to be God. Nero thought he was God. Caligula thought he was God. And in ancient Rome, you had to worship Caesar as God. And because the ancient Christians wouldn't do it, that's why they were persecuted by the Roman Empire and thrown to the lions. They wouldn't worship Caesar. Are there people today claiming that they are God? Well, when I turn on public television and I see their New Age teacher, paid for by our tax dollars, Wayne Dyer, they put him on a lot, teaching we are all God. No, we're not. The Antichrist will claim to be God. Now, there's a controversy about verse 4, because it says the Antichrist will come into the temple of God, proclaim himself to be God. Some Christians believe, therefore, the temple has to be rebuilt. The ancient Jewish temple was destroyed in 70 AD, and later the Muslims built their big mosque, the Dome of the Rock, on the only place the temple can be rebuilt, the Temple Mount. Some Christians say because of this verse, that Dome of the Rock has to be destroyed by an earthquake or blown up. Once the Jews rebuild their temple on the Dome of the Rock, where the Dome of the Rock is now, then the Antichrist comes in and does his thing. Maybe they're right. And if I see the Dome of the Rock explode, I'm going to start taking this verse real literally. But it's also possible this verse is speaking symbolically that the temple of God will be the church and that the Antichrist will come from within the church. Again, Luther believed 500 years ago, 
the Pope was the Antichrist. Some of the stuff we just got to say, only the Lord knows. Verse 7. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. So here's the next lesson. There are many antichrists. Paul said way back, this was written about 52 AD, the Thessalonian epistles. Paul said even right now the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. There are lots of antichrists, small a. The big one, capital A, is coming at the very end. But anytime somebody denies Christ, that's the spirit of the antichrist. Let me give you a little example. <laughs> Dear, ask Marilyn, one of these, you know, magazine or newspaper advice columnists. I'm an atheist, but I celebrate Christmas. I believe the holiday season is about taking time to be with family and friends. Uh, my children love the magical story of Santa Claus, etc. Do you think I'm a hypocrite for celebrating what for m many is a religious holiday? Here's Marilyn's response. No, I don't. I think your attitude exemplifies what Christmas is all about. <laughs> in other words, Marilyn says, you can be an atheist, you don't have to believe in Jesus, but that's what the Christmas spirit is all about. I mean, anytime somebody denies Christ, big or little, that's the spirit of the Antichrist. Verse 8. Then that lawless one, the Antichrist, will be revealed, whom the Lord, Jesus, will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an, appear an end by the appearance of his coming. Here's the next lesson. The Antichrist will be destroyed at the second coming of Christ. There's something at the very end called the War of Armageddon, the final great battle between good and evil. When that is raging and the Antichrist seems to be winning, Jesus steps in and slays the Antichrist with the appearance of his coming. Verse 9. That is the one, the Antichrist, whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan with all power and signs and false wonders. Here's the next lesson. Satan can do miracles. The Antichrist will be able to do miracles. Just because somebody does a miracle doesn't mean they're from God. The Mormons claim that there was a miracle of the quail when they were starving in the wilderness on their way to Utah. Maybe there was. The uh, 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 Christian scientists believe that Mary Baker Eddy did miraculous healings. Maybe she did. New Age healers claim that they can do... Well, just because somebody can do a miracle does not mean they're from God. The Antichrist will do miracles. The Bible says Satan can appear like an angel of light. So you've got to read your Bible and know what the truth is when people come along with false miracles. Verse 10. He will come with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. Here's the next lesson. If you reject God's truth, you will be deceived. If you reject the truth of the Bible now, when the Antichrist comes, you're easy pickings. There's an old saying, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. And it's tragic to me that some of our denominations are no longer standing for the truth of the Word of God, so they're falling for everything. I mean, when you've got churches in the United States, pro-abortion rights, pro-gay uh, marriage, uh, pro-stem cell research, destroying uh, unborn children for the sake of reason, when you've got churches inside doing this, the, the falling away, like I said, the apostasy is here. When you reject God's truth, you end up believing all kinds of things that are 
evil are good. Verse 11. For this reason, get this, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they may believe what is false. Now this is a strange, strange verse. Here's the next lesson. God's strange work of judgment. Notice, who's sending delusion upon these people? God is. Martin Luther talked about what he called the strange work of God. God's normal work is to save people, but when people harden their hearts and reject God, sometimes he does his strange work of deceiving them. This, he gets this from Isaiah 28. Quote, For the Lord will rise up as at Mount Perizim. He will be angry as in the valley of Gibeon. God will do his work, his strange work, and to bring to pass his act, his strange act, and then God fights against his own people in the book of Isaiah. The point is, if you reject the truth of God, your heart will get hard and you will be deceived. Verse 12. In order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and by faith in the truth. Here's the next lesson. The Lord's chosen ones will not be deceived. When the Antichrist comes and the whole world is deceived by him, those people who are believers in Christ who know the word, they won't be deceived. They'll be killed perhaps, but they won't be deceived. Verse 14. <clears throat> For it was he, God, who called you for this through our gospel, that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter or from us. Here's the last lesson I want you to get. The Lord's chosen hold to the apostolic traditions. Paul is saying, Christians in Thessalonica, hold closely the traditions, the teaching I gave you as an apostle. And I've got to tell you this. We need to do this in the church. Years ago, I was having a difficult dis discussion with a liberal Lutheran bishop who was pro-abortion rights, just, I think, pro-gay too, I think, and just... And I tried to make the point from this verse, we need to hold to the apostolic tradition. What did Jesus and the apostles teach? Not what does the Supreme Court say. What do the apostles teach? And you know, it was kind of like I was talking to a deer in the headlights. It just kind of, he thought, Christian, the church is fluid. Truth changes, we, we evolve. No, we hold forth to the apostolic traditions given to us in the Bible by Jesus and the apostles. Let me close with this. Now and then somebody says, you know, Pastor Tom, do you think we're in the end times? All I can say is, I don't know. I will say this. I think we're at the end of America as we know it. When you've got premarital sex being the norm now, especially on television, when you've got abortion everywhere in America, now we've got 30 states and more probably coming that have gay marriage. When you have pastors and pulpits praying to our mother who art in heaven, when you've got pastors saying that Jesus is one way to be saved, but there's hundreds, uh, this is not the nation I grew up in. We are now entering a time of deception. If we don't get back to the Bible as a nation, we are ripe pickings for the end deception of the Antichrist. Amen.
Welcome to the portion of the pastor study where we now ask Pastor Brock to share with us his knowledge of scripture and his insights to answer questions we have regarding the Bible, the, our Lord, and our everyday walk with him. Pastor Brock, this thing about end times is really just mushroomed, it seems like, in the last few years. Mm -hmm. Like you said, all the movies and the books and, and that. I guess you didn't really say as you did your sermon, do you think the Antichrist is alive today? Again, all I can say is only the Lord knows. And again, with Luther thinking the Pope was the Antichrist, the ancient Christians thought Nero was the Antichrist, Christians in World War II thought Hitler was the Antichrist. It just shows you how wrong we can be. Now, they might have been Antichrist little a, because you, you, I think John says in, in the Epistle of John, you've heard that any Antichrist is coming. Indeed, many Antichrists have come. But, we're, but the capital A Antichrist who comes at the very end, I don't know if he's here. I just don't know. I'd never heard that there was a difference between a little A and a big A yeah. for the and Antichrist. Again, I get that from uh, the letter of John. You have heard that Antichrist is coming. Indeed, many Antichrists, plural, has, have come. Okay. Even in the first century, mm -hmm. he said that. So what are the basics that Christians should believe about the end times? Mm -hmm. Now I'm going to get a little controversial, but um, let me tell you what everybody believes, and then I'll get controversial. Okay. <laughs> Every Christian believes Jesus is coming down in the clouds. It's called the second coming. Every Christian believes he's going to raise the dead. Every Christian believes he will then judge the world. Those that are trusting in him go to heaven. Those who don't go to hell. And then according to 1 Peter chapter 3, everything melts with fire. We go to the new heavens. All right. So that's pretty much agreed on by everybody. Now I'll get controversial. The, rap the word rapture means to be caught up. The way I read what we just saw in 2 uh, Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul says, Now I write to you concerning the coming of our Lord and our gathering to be with him. The Christian church has understood scripture for 2,000 years that the rapture, us getting caught up to be with Jesus in heaven, that happens at the second coming. There's a very popular belief in America called the pre-tribulation rapture, that before the Antichrist comes, before there's tribulation, seven years before that, all the Christians disappear and go to heaven, and we miss the Antichrist, we miss the tribulation. I just don't see that biblically. I hope they're right, Jackie. But I don't see that we are promised that we get to escape from this planet until the second coming of Christ. Not seven years before it, but the second coming of Christ. I know people who love the Lord uh, and, and who, who study the scriptures believe differently on this. I just think they're wrong. Pastor Brock, you talk about um, the dead being raised and then the judgment. Aren't the people who are dead, have, haven't they already been judged? Well, in one sense they have. I mean, I just, yesterday, somebody asked me this, I think. Um, my grandma, is she in heaven now? Or is right. she waiting until judgment day? I think she's in heaven now. And, the, and my reason for saying that, first of all, when Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration, Moses and Elijah from the Old Testament talked to Jesus on the mountain. Now, they weren't sleeping. They were awake and talking. And my grandma, I think, she, I think she's in heaven awake and talking. But her spirit is in heaven. I don't think, and this is the way I put it together, we'll see, but I think we're all waiting till, for Judgment Day to get our new, perfect new bodies. I don't think that the Christians in heaven have their resurrection body yet, and they get that at the second coming. So that's the way I'd answer that. Okay, that's kind of... And Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise, 
not 5,000 years from today, but today. Mm -hmm. so. I, I guess I just hadn't really thought about the fact that the dead will be raised, mm -hmm. but yet we know Christians that we know for sure are in heaven. Yeah, and you know what I said to this person, though, when we discussed this? I think my grandma's in heaven. I don't think she's gone through Judgment Day yet. Yes, in one sense, she's been judged that she's in heaven instead of hell. But as far, the 1 Corinthians 3, Paul talks about Christians going to heaven, some with great rewards and some not. And so I don't think the rewards of Judgment Day have been given until Judgment Day. Oh, that's yeah. an interesting thing. I have to think on yeah, that 1 one. Yeah, 1 Corinthians 3. Yeah. Okay, I guess what are some of the things that Christians disagree about the second coming? One is what I just mentioned, the rapture. And again, I believe in the rapture. It means to be caught up. I just think it ha we, we're caught up when he comes down, not seven years before that. The other thing Christians disagree on, if you read, I mean, here's where it gets tricky. And some of the stuff we just got to say only the Lord knows. But in Revelation 20, Jesus comes down and sets up his thousand-year reign on earth. It's called the millennium. Now, some Christians take that literally. I tend to, but I could be wrong that when Jesus comes down, he will reign literally on earth for a thousand years. And that's the way I lean. But Christians that are stronger than me and more knowledgeable than me, some of them are uh, believe that's symbolic because the book of Revelation is not to be taken too literally. It's a vision after all. And it does seem that when you read about the second coming of Christ elsewhere in the New Testament, when he comes down, it's over. It's not like he comes down, reigns for a thousand years, then the devil comes out of his pit in Revelation 20 and deceives him. I mean, so it's difficult. This is a difficult one. So some people believe in the millennium differently. That's another area where, where we can disagree. But, you know, Jackie, can I say this? <laughs> people who, when they find out, find out I don't believe in the pre-tribulation rapture, they'll write me a, a huffy letter. And, and my response to them is, this isn't the doctrine of the Trinity. This isn't salvation by grace alone through faith alone. This is an issue about which Christians can genuinely disagree, and we've got to just say that. I mean, if, if somebody doesn't think I'm going to heaven because I don't agree with them about the rapture, huh? <laughs> believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, Acts 16, not believe in the pre-tribulation rapture and you'll be saved. It's, I guess it's hard for me to imagine Christ coming back and reigning on earth for a thousand years and how how would you live with Christ right among you, amongst you? <laughs> yeah, you know? all I can tell, everybody read Revelation chapter 20 on your own. Pray about it, read it, study it, and come up with what you think, yeah. Why does it have to be so confusing? Well, <laughs> you remember old Pastor Maynard Force at our church, and he said, when I come across a scripture that's difficult, I look at it, I read it, I study it, but then I tip my hat to it, walk around it, and move on. <laughs> Okay. So don't let the difficult parts of Scripture keep you from keep reading, you know. All right. So, Pastor Brock, can you explain what exactly is the mark of the beast? If you look at Revelation chapter 13, the, when the Antichrist comes, he will put his mark on your forehead or forehand. And if you don't have that mark, they won't trade with you. They won't sell things to you, etc. So it's part of, and, and again, the book of Revelation is a vision. It's a, a, a symbolic thing. But when the Antichrist comes in Roman, no, Revelation 13, that's a sanction he uses, his mark, to get people to persecute the, the, the believers. So will the believers and unbelievers have the mark of the beast? Uh, no, the unbelievers take the mark of the beast. Okay. The believers, no, I'm not taking that mark. Okay, that's what I wanted to make mm -hmm. sure. Mm -hmm. Are there any people right now who are claiming to be God? 
the New Age movement, some of their gurus and teachers, uh, Wayne Dyer and Oprah, I'll, I'll quote her again, I've quoted her before, quote, Oprah, who was raised Baptist, I used to think Jesus came to earth to die for our sins. Now I know he's come to get us in touch with our own inner Christ consciousness. So Eckhart Tolle is the New Age teacher she promotes. Oprah believes, Eckhart Tolle believes, we're all part of the collective Christ consciousness. Jesus was God, but everybody is. Okay. And Okay, are we done? No, no, we're not done. <laughs> uh, I got a few more things. Well, and the Reverend Moon. Mm -hmm. they, the Unification Church claimed that the Reverend Moon was the second coming, but now he's dead, so... So he didn't survive. He didn't. Sur he didn't pass the test. Let's what put are it they doing now? Who have they chosen? Uh, you know, I think they still exist. But when the moon, when the unification people came to me, I said the the Reverend Moon has not come down in the clouds. He hasn't raised the dead. He hasn't judged the world. He hasn't melted the earth with fire. He's a three dollar bill, and he died. And then he died. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Can you explain what is the millennium? The millennium is what we just talked about. That's that thousand-year reign years. of Christ on right. earth. And again, some people take that literally. Some people say, well, it's in Revelation. It's a symbolic thing. Okay. Yeah. So there is no explanation. Well, the, see, this is where, again, I don't mind if people disagree with me on this stuff, but let's not be real dogmatic that we know exactly how it's all going to pan out. When Jesus said, you know, I, I don't know the day or the hour of my coming. Now, I think he does now. Uh, but when he was in, in his human flesh on earth, he said, only the Father knows. Neither the angels nor the Son of Man. The Father knows the second coming. Therefore, I get perturbed with some of these TV preachers, and they know when the second coming is. Jesus didn't, but they do. You know. <laughs> so. Okay, one last question about this before we do anything else. Mm -hmm. What happens to the Antichrist when it is at the yeah. very end? Uh, at the very end, Revelation 20, verse 10, he and there's the Antichrist, and then there's the beast. The beast is the second-hand man the, and the false prophet. So the Antichrist and the beast are thrown into the lake of fire that burns forever and ever. And then those who receive the mark of the beast and didn't accept Christ, they also go to the lake of fire. So and are we talking hell? We're talking hell, yes. And it says they are tormented day and night forever and ever. Jesus said in Matthew 25 that those, uh, the, the unrighteous will, will be going through eternal punishment. And Jackie, it's become popular in some churches not to believe in hell anymore. Well, then what do you do with Revelation 20? What do you do with Matthew 25, where Jesus talks about eternal punishment? Okay. I guess I have a hard time grasping the Antichrist being on earth and then going to hell, to hell. For yeah. eternity. The lake of fire is, is one, of the, okay. one of the ways to refer to hell. Yep. Well, we want to thank you for being with us this week. We thank you for your prayers and your support for this ministry, and we pray that God would be with you this week, watching over you until we're together again next time. Thank you for watching the Pastor Study. You can watch more of our programs at pastorstudy.org. We are on the air preaching the gospel of Christ because of our generous support of you, our viewers. Would you consider supporting our ministry? You may do so at pastorstudy.org. Or write the Pastor Study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota 55441. May the blessing of our one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you today and always. Amen.